Today, we are um, taking a shift in, a, a clear shift in our series on the Ten Commandments, you know, a series titled Gospel Completes Law. And we are in the fourth, com- we are in the fourth commandment now, honor your father and mother. And there's an important promise there about living long. But I want to just, so before I begin and, go and tell you about our parts, um, oftentimes this, we are moving into what people call the second table of the law. So some see the first four commandments, some see the first three, or they see commandment number four about the Sabbath is kind of partially about, you know, the, you know our relationship to God, and then, and then, but the Sabbath, so, so for sure, starting with this commandment, we're, the focus is more on our relationship to one another. But I want to say a couple things about this. Number one, all the commandments are about first our relationship to God. You always sin first against God, even if you you are sinning against your. In this case, we're going to talk about our mothers and fathers. Um, but you know, before we go to the second table here, um, I want you to just think about this: that as we as we think as we think about our relationships to other people, um, I want you to reflect on. Who it is that you would have God as center, and especially on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, is, it's some like partially is about our relationship to God, and then about our neighbors, because we're supposed to have a stop that allows a rest and stop for our neighbors. But today, as we move toward this commandment, in one sense, it's a very simple command. You know who your mom and dad is, and God commands you to honor honor them. But on one, at the intellectual level, it's pretty easy to take in. But it's so many different levels of the heart may be difficult. And I want to wrestle with that today, especially in the ways that we here in America, the modern 21st century, that we wrestle with this commandment. So here we go. All right. Three parts. Part one. The virus of self-sufficiency. Yes, I'm going to talk about a virus. The virus of self-sufficiency and identity from your family. Part one, the virus of self-sufficiency and identity from your family. Part two, understanding and gratitude leading to genuine honor from the heart. We're going to need understanding and gratitude so that we can actually just honor our parents, not with just lip service or external behaviors, but really genuinely from the heart. And I want to close with a meditation on the gospel that I'm going to call the love of the Father healing our self-centeredness. The love of the Father, healing our self-centeredness. So this is the, the title. I've been wrestling all week long, honestly, with the title of this message, and I've entitled the beginning, or at least the seeds, I think I, call, I, think I changed it, the seeds of community and belonging. And if you first, it's like, okay, I know who my mom is, I know who my dad is, okay, I should, you know, try to love them and be better toward them, Okay. But before we get at that, I want to I, I want us to step back a little bit and think about you know what we're kind of up against in the way we tend to think about our relationship to our mother and father. Before we even thought about our relationship to our mother and father, we have all these built-up habits of how we think about ourselves first, how we think about who we are and how we move about in life. And um, and I want to talk about this. You know, I'm not just trying to be cute here. Okay. Um, this is, a, this is a really extraordinary period that we're in with this disease. It is an absolute, it's really, it's so invisible. You could have the disease and have no obvious symptoms. 
or the symptoms can seem lighter, but you can have this disease and you can infect other people with them. And I've been thinking about that in light of this particular commandment. Um, you know, we're not really a country or a culture that's especially very good at, at following this. We're very rugged individualists. And I want to talk a little bit about this. In America, what we really care about is that, that we're not going to depend on anybody else. That really what we believe in more than anything else is self-sufficiency, everything. That you even believe that you can shape and own, you own who you are, you determine who you are, you decide who you are, your identity is based on you. And this is so deeply ingrained in this that even if you're a person that says, in, my, in your own head, you're like, I don't believe in those things. I believe in something more like the gospel. In our heart habits, you know, guess what? That, it's like that those ideas in America, let me tell you how many people are not infected by those ideas in America. Zero people, right? Zero people. We're worried about how many people are going to get the coronavirus. Well, the virus of self-sufficiency in America, I have yet to meet the person who's not infected by that virus. And so when we think about who we are, um, first, we always think about, it's something about, I'm going to choose and I'm going to do. And really, that's not how the Bible looks at it. How the Bible looks, there's, there's multiple chapters in the Bible, and sometimes maybe if you, have, if you ever grew up and you read the Bible, you might find this guy was the father of this guy. <laughs> the father, you know, these names you can't even pronounce. He's the father of this guy, he's the father, and it just goes on and on and on. Many, many verses. Father of this, father of that. This person was the son of this person, so on and so forth. You know, those are actually very profound passages in the Bible. Because you know how the Bible basically looks at who you are, your identity? Identity does not come from what you do. <laughs> Let me just, so it may seem very simple. Like, who, well, like, who are you? You're like, well, I'm a doctor. <laughs> or I'm an engineer. We immediately tend to think about some job and some status inside of what you do. That's how we tend to think in America. And so then so I get to kind of choose what I'm doing. So then I'm getting to choose and make my identity, right? And then we choose where we think we can belong. We're like, am I going to, you know, be... Be, be a part of this company? Am I going to be a 49ers fan? <laughs> you know? And then that's the group that I'm going to be. It's all part of like me. But actually, the Bible is far more fundamental than this. You don't actually choose your identity. <laughs> you, you know where you get it from? So this is super basic. And I want to start here because if you haven't wrestled with this, you can't feel the weight of this commandment, which is who you are comes from mom and dad. <laughs> That's where, you, that's where you, who you are. Who you are comes from mom and dad. And if you don't have any, if you have, you could feel this. If you don't have that fundamental relationship, relationship defines who you are first before what you get to do. So um, we've been actually having important conversations about this in my discipleship group. And, um, you know, Damon's in my discipleship group. And he kind of like, he boiled it down in this rather brilliant way. He says, being comes before doing and out of your being, and then your doing, then you get having. You get, like, you get to make things, or you get to have, you know, live in this house. But it should start first by who you are, your being, your identity. Then out of your identity, it shapes what you do. And then out of that, you get to have and gain things, right? But in America, you know how we think about this? Your being is dependent on your doing. Your doing is first. And guess what? It's exhausting. Constantly, all the time, I've got to do this. And then if I don't do this well, then, then I become 
nothing. But you know what's really great about being the son and daughter of your mom and your dad? It, it can't be taken away. Or generally, except for extreme things, that, that relationship is something built on a really solid rock. So, you know, my, my parents are hung in Soon Park. You know, I could do some really stupid things, but I'm still going to be their son. And my identity and who I am, that's set. Now, why do I start off here? Because identity and your belonging into community, your family, your parents, they shape your very first community. And where you have that family, that home, we call it family, we call it community, I'm breaking it down to the most fundamental things because we're so radically individualistic in America, we've forgotten these things. And so who, who are you? First of all, God made us not as an atomistic individual, like there's just you and you don't have to worry about anything else. You're just your special you. But just, let's just stop, think about this for just a moment. Um, think about what foods you like. So in our family, my kids didn't just one day just go, guess what? I like French cuisine. You know why they don't like French cuisine? Because they haven't eaten it. <laughs> So what kinds of things do they like? Well, they like, you know, like my son really likes pizza. And since we live in the Cupertino, West San Jose area, we have Cicero's Pizza in our neighborhood. <laughs> and so he actually likes really high quality pizza. And I said, well, if we live in another neighborhood, maybe he, that wouldn't be a big deal. And why? Because of who his parents are. His parents chose, we, we are, his dad is from this place. It was called into a pastorate here. He didn't get all these choices. And so something like, what food do you like? Um, my daughter, she really likes to draw. Did she just say one day, wake up, say, I'm going to try, try drawing and let's do this. You know, it was a gift. It was a gift. And I think because my wife has, I don't know if you know this, but Grace has artistic skills. And that's a gift probably given from her parents and her parents' parents and from God and now, my daughter Laura just has this. And here she is, like, making actually beautiful things on her iPad. Where did she get that from? She got that. And so, even just really, like, simple things that maybe you take for granted. Um, the one that I, I thought about this week was um, my, uh, you know, for a while, for about seven plus years or so, my family, we lived in Philadelphia. <laughs> and um, I remember... My son, he really started liking football. Why? Why does he like football? Well, because his dad likes football. <laughs> so here is this four-year-old kid who, who fully understands all the rules and can follow everything. And here he's going crazy and excited about a team. You know which team he liked? He liked, well, he liked the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and if you know anything about Philadelphia, that's crazy. <laughs> Nobody grows up in Philadelphia and chooses the Dallas Cowboys except he didn't actually choose the Cowboys. He wasn't some individual who said, I choose the Cowboys. I like football. I'm going to choose the Cowboys. You know where he got that love from? He got it from his dad. Because he loved the loves of his father. And he likes hanging out with his father. And he wants to go into the worlds and the glories that his father knows. And over against the whole city who completely hates the Cowboys, <laughs> he says, I love the Cowboys. And to this day, he still roots for the Cowboys. And we don't live in Texas. And so I'm just giving you something, and all of you have something like that. <laughs> There's all these strange choices in your life. Some of you may have made certain choices even over against your parents. Your 
parents like this and you're I'm going to go the other way. You know what? That's You actually got that from your parents too, which is strange. Another strange way of putting it. And I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about the, you know, the thousand diapers that they changed or all the hours that they worked when they didn't want to work, all the hours that maybe your dad worked a job that he did not like. It wasn't his great career. It wasn't his dream. It was a job, and it was a job he hated. (laughs) And he did it for you. He did it for his wife. He did it for his children. Maybe your mom, she didn't want to wake up at 3 in the morning to best feed you, or when you were 7 years old and you were sick and you had a terrible fever. She didn't want to do that stuff, but she wouldn't do it for, like, maybe she would do this for her husband, but she did it for you. And I'm not even talking about these things. But you know what? These aren't, are these extraordinary things for our mothers and fathers? No. They're just, they're quite frankly, they're the average, ordinary, if you think about it, the ordinary is actually extraordinary. These are all the things. So I'm not even talking about all the great works and sacrifices your mom and dad made for you, even just who you are, your ethnicity, your height, the food you like. All these kinds of things, probably even the songs you like. My kids know certain songs. Why? Because they had to listen to that music from my wife while we were driving around the car when they were four years old. And that's all in so many different ways that's your case. Maybe, you know, and of course we're, you know, we're real free human beings. You know, you were like, I don't like any of the music that my, that my dad liked. But in some way or another, your parents have profoundly shaped you. And here's the part I want to start with. So in one way or another, I feel like I'm just trying to tell you that the sky is blue. But you know what? We in 21st century America, we live in, a delusion land where we've forgotten the most fundamental things of reality. You're created. And your creation means you are fundamentally, absolutely, you have derived yourself and your being from somebody else. And if they did not bless you, if they did not rise up to their responsibility as mother and father, you'd be profoundly much more broken. And we all know people who are. And so what is a debt that you owe? You owe a profound debt of gratitude. And so when God says, honor your father and mother, absolutely, absolutely. If God didn't tell you to do it, shouldn't you just know that you ought to do it just as a human being with a relationship with somebody else? So I want to take you into this place to push back some of the delusional, the delusions of our times that the virus has made us completely crazy. And Start sinking truth into our heart. And how you think about who you are in light of your mom and your dad. I hope you have mostly a good sense of feelings and of joy and gratitude to your mother and father. And I know that that isn't necessarily the case with everybody. And even in the average good family, there's always layers of, of pain and dysfunctionality. Even the good families have layers of sin dysfunctionality. Um, so... I'm not going to try to address the especially painful situations. If you have a really painful relationship with your father or your mother, maybe they failed you in a profound way, maybe they were abusive, or they abandoned you. Um, I, I want to address that next week. 
So this is a big and difficult subject matter, and we're going to talk about that next week. But today, I really want to talk about the so-called more normal, average relationships with our mothers and father. And I want to call you, first of all, into this, that you have an incredible debt, debt that you owe your mother and father. And so when God calls you to do this, and we're not good at this, and we, most of us, so many of us, especially in America, we're not good at this. I want to ask you to go into this space and know the reality. Now, I don't know, some people who maybe aren't from America, they're probably thinking, what's wrong with this pastor? He's crazy. He's just like telling you things that's so obvious to me. But it isn't for, for so many of us in America, is it? So that's part one uh, on self-sufficiency. Let me go to part two. I want to talk about how we can move. I want to give you some wisdom and application of how we can move that our heart can go to a place a place of moving toward, of honoring and loving your father and mother in a way that's more pleasing to God and the way God intends. And I kind of boiled, as I was wrestling with this, I, 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 want, to, I want to take you to understanding, which will lead you toward humility. And two, I want to ask you to remember, which I hope will lead you toward gratitude. Number one, understanding, which will lead you toward humility. And two, remembering, which will lead you toward gratitude. And then once your heart is filled with much more deeper understanding, when you're thinking about understanding and, and you have gratitude, then you can want to do acts that honor and love your mother and father more deeply. And so that's, what, that's my hope, right? So let's start with understanding. And I, I know that the younger you are, you know, our younger brothers and sisters this is going to be harder for you, but I want to offer this to you hope. The older you get, you will understand your mother and father better. I hope so, anyway. And any of you, especially, I challenge you, especially those of you grown older, to really start to think about this. But especially if you're younger, I want to just ask you, just, I want you to assume something. You really don't understand your mom and dad. You so don't understand them. And so when they're aggravating or when they upset you or they're angry and you want to tune them out, I want you to have this thought in your mind. You don't get them. You, don't, you really don't get them. But as you grow older, I want to promise you, if you try anywhere and you have some measure of humility, you will start to get them. And the more you understand them, I hope it will sow humility. So here's what I mean by this. So um, there was a, there's a portion in a, in, in a Timothy Keller sermon where he's actually talking about marriage. And I, I remember this is really stuck in my mind from many, many years ago where he said this. He says, first you get married. And then um, when you get married, you chose this person that you wanted to marry. And nobody actually said this out loud. But the, really what you want is I will give you this and you give me this. There's actually a kind of unspoken deal or a contract. And so... I'm, I'll, be the, I'll be the man, I'll be the husband, and I will do these things for you. And, you know, you be the wife and you do these things for me. And then what happens is as the marriage goes forward, in the stressful periods of your marriage, you start to find out essentially that the other person is selfish. And then you're going to find out that, that they tell you, you're selfish. And then because you didn't do this for me, I don't want to do this for you. And then you know what happens? Then we fight. So you're supposed to, you promise to love this person through, you know, Sickness and in health, better or for worse, till death do you part. But then when you actually get some as soon as they don't do their part for you, you don't want to do your part for them. And it leads to really serious problems in marriage. This is what starts to happen. But then Keller pointed this out. He says, you have children. And here's what happens. 
They don't do anything for you. Except maybe smile and are really cute. But mostly you give and you give and you do and you do. And if you really think about it, from the mother and the father's you know, point of view, it will never be fair. <laughs> you give and you give and you give and you give and you give. Okay, how much back are they going to give? Uh, well, if you give, let's say, a thousand, they're going to give you back maybe, maybe 50. <laughs> maybe a hundred. The really great kid, if we could put it on some number, will try to give you 200. And you're like, oh, you're such a great son or a daughter. But it'll never be anything close to equal. Somehow with your, your spouse, you want something closer to equal. And it's fair. You're going to get something like what you give. But with your child, it'll never be that way. It's, you, reg, you, you, you regularly give way more than you would possibly receive or even hope to receive. And you know what's crazy? This is the person now you love unconditionally. And you can't not love them. And so there's a, there's, I forget who, which um, uh, journalist wrote this. She, she said, you know, after you have children... The happiest day you can have from then on is that is the is is that is the happiest that your least child <laughs> that your least happy child is. You know what she said? She goes, as a mother, that's the happiest I can be. The happiest that my least happy child is. Now, I don't know if that's true of all parents. Not really entirely true of me, honestly. But um, honestly, if I do find out that uh, my children are unhappy. It will weigh on me. And that's, you know, I can't help that. <laughs> I actually wish I wasn't like that. I was like, ah, uh, yeah, Elizabeth is really sad. Whatever. <laughs> just go, whatever. You know, let's, let's, let's have a nice beer and, you know, and just, just, just enjoy my Spotify. And I'm going to read this really cool book. And then, you know, the Cowboys are on later today, right? No, I, I, actually, I can't do that. If I knew that, one of my children was really unhappy. You know what? It would actually make me unhappy. And, you know, all of you, I want you to think about this from both perspectives. If you, you know, you, you, all of us have some mom and dad. The average mom or dad, this is how they are. And all of you, um, if you're single, let me tell you something. When, once you become, you know, you're single, you're married, you're going to have children. Once you become um, a father or a mother, you're going to feel this way. Some of you, maybe you have a dog or you're a cat. <laughs> and if your cat is miserable, you, you already start to feel this way. And just imagine how much more intense that will be if that's your very own flesh and blood child. And after I became a father, I, um, you know, so, you know, I became a father. My son was born. And I remember thinking this. It was like three in the morning. And I was exhausted. I was like sleep deprived and so exhausted and I'm feeding him so that my wife could get some rest. Here he is, this curly hair kid. And I'm thinking, I can't believe this kid came from me. Curly hair. Where, what is that, right? And I look at him, and after wiping his butt and all this hard stuff, you know, um, I could not believe the intensity of love. It's crazy. And that's not a boast in any way. I was just thinking, like, this is like, am I a good father? I don't even think, I'm just probably, I'm so average. This is what it's like. I want you to think about this. Your mom and dad is aggravating. And no matter what they did, even if you think what they did was bad or dumb, 
most of it is filled with this, this intention. So please think about this. As soon as you become a parent, you will know this. And you'll find out other things too. You're going to find out that you didn't, that you make mistakes. You're maybe really upset. You you always thought, my mom, she could have been better like this. And she just was always thinking about herself. But then she did this, but it was really about her. And then when you become a mom, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find that yourself saying and doing certain very similar things. And it's going to cut you to the heart. If you're humble and you don't self-blind yourself, this is going to happen. And I hope you can begin to think of your parents in light of this. And all of you who aren't parents yet, just wait. <laughs> this is awaiting you. This is awaiting you. It, when you are young, I'm going to be so much better. I mean, I, I, I can't believe now. I mean, I t- tell you, like, it's actually really quite arid. How many times I said this, my dad did this, and I'm like, I'm never going to be a dad like that. And then, of course, as I look at my son's face, and I could see that he's really upset at me, and I'm going like, I am that. <laughs> Great. But first, have some understanding. And I hope it will lead you toward humility. Second, um, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. You've been, you're, you know, you're, you, you know your mom and dad pretty well. Um, and I hope you would remember them more as glass half full, not glass half empty. Even if you thought they were more bad than not, would you remember what they did for you, even if it was broken? And I want, here, I, want, I want to tell you a couple of, of stories from my own. I've been, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, my parents are immigrant parents. My, uh, my family moved to America. Um, I actually didn't know this until more recently. My, my, um, my mom's side of the family was able to come to the United States. My father, it's not like his family was out here. <laughs> he loved Korea. <laughs> he loved being Korean. He didn't want to go to America. But you know what caused him to, to make this decision? Because in the Korean War, his, the, 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 the evil communist government came and stole their land and their property and made them utterly poor and had them flee the country. And they realized, he thought, you know, in America, that doesn't happen. So he gave up his career and his finances, and they weren't rich, but they were making a comfortable living in the big city, and they came out here. And there are times that I know that while they were working really hard, that they were incredibly stressed. I remember times that my parents, they were fighting. There were these stretches when their marriage was incredible. It was not in a good place. It's screaming fights. And it made the house really painful, miserable when you were a child. Scared. Um, my next door neighbor, uh, his, his parents, he had a mother and a stepfather. And I remember asking him, what's a stepfather? <laughs> And he says, oh, that means my parents got divorced. You know what? I said, what's that? <laughs> he says, it's when your mom and your dad split up and that they're not married anymore. The first time I ever heard that, it terrified me. What? That can happen? <laughs> that could happen? And when my parents got into horrible fights, I started thinking maybe it could happen. But let me tell you, this is when we were living in the East Bay. This is in the Bay Area. And we were living in this um, small townhouse. And then my parents, you know, they're, 
they wanted to make a good living for us. And so they decided to take a huge risk. They took a tremendous risk and to go into, um, into have their own business. And the business that they chose was, was an elderly care home for um, senior citizens. So a lot of you who've been, you know, who've been pastoring, you might know this. Well, so we moved from the East Bay, which was Hayward at the time, to South San Jose. My parents took over this business, which was essentially a really large house. It was called Edenvale. That was the name of the residential care home for the elderly. And on one side of the house was five bedrooms. And this was the majority of the house. It was five bedrooms, a living room. It was like this nice, sort of like a porch that was like, it was, it was really well lit. I can still remember it. And I have fond memories of that side of the house. And that's where the elderly people lived. And then there was a kitchen. And then on the other side of the kitchen was kind of a dumpy little living room with two bedrooms and a bathroom, and that's where we lived. And my brother and I never complained or anything like that. Um, and we, we, didn't, we didn't actually know that it was in a poor neighborhood, and we didn't know that we were poor. <laughs> um, but what this did was um, it put my parents under tremendous stress. My mom told me that when she first got that business, that the phone would ring and she'd be afraid to pick up the phone because she goes, what if I can't, because her English she thought was so poor, because what if I can't understand what they're saying? And then I wouldn't know what to say, so she was scared for every phone call. That was part of it. And there are other things like this too. Now, now she was going to not only have to cook and clean and provide you know, food and all that for me and my brother and, and her husband, she was going to have to do this for the other seven elderly care people too. And so she would work so crazy hard. And you know why they made this decision? And it's really interesting. They thought about, they thought about well, we could, we could open, open up a sandwich shop. <laughs> or we can open up a dry cleaner. So some of the other people in their churches, they were doing, in their, in their church community, were, were doing this. But what they saw was that some of the other people who were, were, had successful business and were making lots of money worked crazy long hours. And they were never with their kids. But they could give their kids, they were giving their kids toys and clothes and everything, so-called everything. But um, what, what happened when we were living in the East Bay was my parents caught me smoking with the neighbor's kids, the, the kid whose parents were divorced. And they said, you know this thing of letting our kids be latchkey kids? It's, it's not a good idea, is it? And so... Every night, my mom would be so exhausted, she'd be lying in, you know, on the couch, and she would say, could you please, like, massage my legs? And as my brother and I would massage her legs, she, it, she'd be in pain. She'd be so physically exhausted. And then my dad, he's this really stoic, he's your classic stoic Korean man of the post-war generation. He'd never talk about he's hurting or he's suffering, or he wouldn't even show that to his, his boys. Um, but so I think back then we used to think our mom is suffering so much and dad is just, you know, just kind of living. But as I really think, as I've grown older, I started thinking about this. I remember many periods of time, this was when like in the fifth and sixth grade, where my dad wouldn't come home for dinner. And, my, and then I said, where's, where's dad? You know, my mom, she goes, she, he's, he's at overtime. And I goes, what's overtime? She's like, well, he has to work longer than he usually does. And if he does, he makes more money. We're like, okay. Well, now as I think back on it, that means he must have been putting in 50, maybe 60 hours a week. And then when he got home, his workday wasn't over. Then he would sometimes have to 
on, he would have to take care of things for the care home. He would sometimes have to take some of the elderly people to their doctor's appointments. On Saturdays, he would have to bathe, some, he would have to bathe the men that need help with, with their, their baths, and my mom would do that for the women. So he would work that thing. He would clean all those places and do yard work outside that because, you know, his sons are too young to do this kind of stuff, so he would do these things. He never said anything about it. And when he would have his free time, he would schlep me to my violin lessons, and he would drive us to the library, and my brother was a voracious reader. I was... I was a bit of a reader. My, my brother was... So I, we'd go to one library, the closest one to our house, and then my brother would pretty much finish all of the books in the, in, in the genre that he liked. He liked science, fantasy, and fiction. And he goes, he goes, Dad, can we go to a different library? And my dad would find a different one. And then it would go further out. And go further out. And he never complained. He never said a word like it was a pain. And rarely would he be short about doing these kinds of things. And um, I'm sharing this with you because I've been thinking about this. And this is in no way to praise my parents because your, your parents are like this. All your parents are like this. My parents aren't super parents. They're, quite frankly, they're at, they were in this way average parents. Now, you know, they have the immigrant thing and so forth. But a lot of your parents, were, they were immigrants too. And they struggled. And I want you to think about this. What they must have gone through. And why their marriages were stressed. Or maybe why even their marriage broke. Maybe it's not so easy to blame them. And so, I think about these things. Maybe we should have a lot more gratitude. I hope it leads you to gratitude. I would like to urge you to chew on this. And use this week, use this week, use next week. We're going to talk about honor your father and mother next week too. To really remember. And try to think back on your mother and your father. And look at them not through the eyes when you were a child. But now that you are older, if you are older, try to understand. Now I want to ask you, I want to offer you two simple applications that I want you to chew on. Um, One is, you know, there, you know, you've heard me sometimes talk about, you know, there's this famous book called The Five Love Languages, written by, a, you know, Christian psychologist Gary Chapman. And every family has ways of practicing love, you know, between mother and father, brother and brother, sister and sister, and so forth. And you probably, almost all of you, if you're like a normal family, probably have a limited way that you practice a love language to your mother and your father. Maybe they were very limited. They only practice one or two out of the five to you. you know, so here they are. They are, they are um, quality time, physical affection, words of affirmation, acts of service. Why am I trying to think of the other one? Uh, and yes, and giving gifts. Right. So those are the five. And I want you to think about, in your family, maybe um, there's a way that, you know, you always do acts of service for your parents, but maybe you never do a word of affirmation to your parents. Maybe you're one of those families, everybody just does stuff for each other, but nobody ever breaks that vulnerability and says, Mom, Dad, I remember this period of time. I know it must have been really hard for you. 
I remember this time. You could even say, I honor you. Thank you. You are a good mom. You are a good dad. Maybe you could say words of affirmation. Or maybe there's some quality time that they like, that they want. Or maybe there's some act of service. There's something they've been asking you to do, and you're like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and it's something you don't want to do, or maybe it's a bit of a project. You'll have to carve some space into your life. Instead of your life thinking all the stuff that you normally do, and your parents doing something for your parents is kind of a chore. It's a chore. It's like, oh, you know, you know we're supposed to just do this for your dad. So, okay, so I, just, I just better do it. Maybe you can go into the space in your heart that you could want to do from the heart. And one more, um, one more, and this is a, big of a, broad, a, a bigger and broader. I want to say this, especially for those of you who are younger. Um, my parents, um, my father is 80 years old, and my mother is 77, and um, they're elderly. And you know what I'm finding? They're, they need me. They need me, my wife, my, my, their grandchildren. They need us more. And it's so obvious in this period of time when the elderly are the ones that are most vulnerable from this disease. So I want you to think about this. Maybe you're younger and your parents aren't quite at that age yet, but I want you to be at attentive as they grow older and older. The roles are going to reverse. When you were young, you were vulnerable and needy, and your parents had the money and the power and so forth. But as, you, as they grow older and older, they will grow frail, and they will grow weak. And you're the one making money. You're the one who knows how your society works. They, they might, please don't be you know, uh, impatient with them, because they can't even just handle the most basic technology, which is so easy for you, because this isn't from their time. So think about their needs, especially as they grow older. Okay, let me close our message. I want to give you some power from the gospel. I, only, I offered you some wisdom that will hopefully just you as a human being would go into a deeper place uh, with your mother and your father, and you would do it willingly because, because God is central to your life, because the grace of God. Now today I want to offer you a picture of God. I want to start this way as I close. Um, having been a pastor for many, many years, you know what I no mostly notice about people? That they all have just this picture of God. <laughs> and you know what they immediately think about when they think about God? They think that he is omnipotent, almighty. Some of you think he's creator. And a lot of you, you think about as creator, he's also my judge. He's the one that knows all the laws. He's the one that has power over me. He could kill me. He could bless me. He could send good things my way. And he can judge me and condemn me. So mostly you're talking about God as creator and judge as almighty. But today, you know, I want you to understand that in Christianity, we, have, we do believe in that God. But you know, the Muslims believe in that God. You know, the Jews believe in that God. You know, in, in the ancient world, Zoroastrians believed in, in, in that God. But our God is more than that. Our God, he calls himself Father. In fact, God doesn't want us to call him, first and foremost, God. You know, do, you, do you know that when you, if you start your prayer, dear God, you're calling him by his title. It's actually rather impersonal. If you call him, it's like you should call him Father. You know, that's the relationship he wants. 
That's who he most fundamentally his identity that he wants you to, to have in your heart. And in order for the Father to have this and to say, I will give, 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 give to you, and it'll never be fair as to which be a father to do that, you know that it cost him. It cost him. And he had to give two tremendous gifts. And they're far more than health or a new job or money or even things like, I'm going to give you, you know, smartness of math or really, you know, great athletic abilities and all those things will, you know, enable you to do well in life. No, no, it's far bigger than that. So here are the two gifts he gave. This is from the Father, not just from God. The Father had to give you salvation. In order to give you salvation, he had to give you his son. <laughs> so here's, how, here's what it took so that the Father doesn't look at us through the hat of being the judge and ruler. In order for him to be father to us and only look at us with just great cherishing and delight and joy, here's what he had to do. He said, son, I want you to go down there and everything that they do wrong and all their wickedness and all their, bride, their blindness and pride and all the curse that they have incurred because, you know, as God, we know that they deserve death and curse from all their wickedness and sin. I want you to go down there, live the life they should live, and be a son or a daughter and be human, and then all that they deserve I'm going to put on you. All the wrath that I as God, as God, as judge, as God as judge, I must in my justice and wisdom, I must do this. I'm going to put that wrath on you, son. I want you to go do that. Now, I want you to stop for a moment. A lot of us are like, okay, pastor, how's this relating to the father, son? Here, here's what it is. When the father looks at you now, every disapproval, condemnation, rejection that you and I deserve and feel that we deserve, you know what? It's already put on Jesus and he's absorbed it all. There's a tremendous verse in the Bible that I want to give you. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So Paul explicates the gospel in multiple chapters, and then, you know, he gets this incredible verse. This is the verse. He says, Therefore now, because of all the gospel, there's therefore now no condemnation. Zero zip zilch. You know, only the Father can look at you. There'll never be any condemnation. Do you know that God now is your Father? When he looks at you, he looks at you, not you and yourself. In all your works and all your righteousness, he looks at you in Christ. And so even if you have a little bit of righteousness, all the bad parts have been washed away by Jesus. Because it cost the Father to put all his wrath on the Son. So now to us, he doesn't have to be God who judges us. He'll be a father. There's no condemnation ever. Cherish you. That wasn't enough. Okay. Here's a second gift. His second gift is not the cost of his son. The second gift is spirit. What the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is the power and dwelling of God to be with you. It's his spirit. 
It reflects the full spirit of the Father. If you want to know what the full spirit of the Father, just look at Jesus. Jesus is what the Father is like. And then the Spirit is like the heart and power of the Father. It's just like Jesus. And you know what? Because now you are under no condemnation. The Father says, I send, my, I send the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, I will dwell and be in your heart, never leave you. Son, daughter, that's your ultimate identity. Not even just the son and daughter of your mom and your dad. Your ultimate identity would be the son and daughter of the Father who is God of his infinite, unbreakable love and presence with you, greatest gifts, Son, Holy Spirit. You know what his greatest gifts were? God and God. God, our Father, said, let me give you my biggest gift, Son. Give us gifts, Holy Spirit. My biggest gifts are our Godness, so I can be your Father. And as, as you think about this and chew on this, I hope that you can go, no matter what brokenness you had with your own father or your own mother, that you could begin to think. So sometimes people think, I have a broken relationship to my own dad, so I don't know how to love God. <laughs> but you know what? If you can learn how to love, receive infinite love of God, who is the father, then maybe it can move you to move to your own father and mother. Let's pray. Lord, um, a people filled with self-sufficiency, and it's like this infection that you can't get rid of, but only the healing balm of the gospel, of knowing that there is a Father has loved us to an infinite goodness. That's not a that just not that's not a theory. The most deepest fact of our identity, the deepest belonging that we can have, and that our Father gave us the greatest community that there is, the community of the Holy Trinity, of God Himself. So Lord, help us to receive this to receive this infinite gift. It's like we can barely wrap our head around it, but help us to drink like a little thimble full of the love, your love, Father. Your love, which is expressed in the costliness of your Son and the ever-presence of your Spirit. Give us your heart that will never leave us. We're in a fearful time now, Lord, and many people will need... Not just God, but they'll need a father. Let's receive this, and then it will help us to move toward our own fathers and mothers in a new way. And for anyone who maybe has already lost their own father and mother, I pray that they can begin to look around. Maybe look at other people. Maybe other people who could be, they could treat as father and mother. They could look at and be grateful to their neighbors. They were like the forefathers that built our society and our country they can offer them honor. So in so many ways, it's only you can do put the healing balm of the gospel into the brokenness of our self-sufficiency. Help us to be a more beautiful and shining light 
this time of great brokenness and loneliness. Praise in Jesus' name.